We acknowledge the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, the traditional custodians of the land where we're recording. We pay respect to Elders past, present and emerging, and to all Indigenous peoples worldwide who are listening in. Welcome to the Doyen Podcast. My name is Bridget. Our first interviewee, Kate Fitzgerald, shares with us some interesting stories about the business of architecture. Also, thanks so much to the amazing music which accompanies these episodes by the fantastic group Anon. Thanks, Kate, for your time today. If you could introduce yourself and a little bit about your firm and what you're working on at the moment. Okay, so I'm Kate, the director of Whispering Smith. Um, Whispering Smith has two staff members, Nikita and Anna. Um, and myself, and we share an office with um, another architecture practice, MSG, a builder, Tello Construction, um, and an amazing interiors architecture firm called Olo Studio. Um, and there's a landscaper, landscape architect in there as well, Alicia. So it's a pretty great little studio that we have. And yeah. we are, I guess, we're identifying ourselves as staunchly feminist, and we do like quite a lot of a pretty big mix of residential and commercial stuff in Perth, but we like to think that we're pushing some boundaries. So how did you come about to working for yourself, developing this firm? So I finished university in 2010, and at that time um, Melbourne was really tough. Um, There wasn't any jobs. A lot of my, you know, I had friends who were sending out like 50 resumes, and these were really talented people who really wanted to work in sort of the professional architectural field and I just, um, I wasn't feeling it. I'd worked in a few firms. Uh, I guess I've always been an entrepreneurial person. Um, Business was really excites me and um, I love design and I love architecture and dealing with clients and, I, you know, I guess I always wanted to be a director of a practice that you can, you know, supposed to start at the bottom for that and I'd done that a few times and I just felt like I was being suffocated a bit or you know left like I was on the shelf not really living up to my potential in whatever role I was supposed to be doing and and now that I'm a director obviously I understand that you know sometimes you just need a a certain person to fill a certain gap and that you know as a young architect you don't really have the skill set to be able to contribute but I think that's been a unique and interesting challenge that I'm trying to deal with as a director of my own practice bringing in young staff so that yeah. they don't feel the way that I was feeling when I was working in, in architecture in the early days. Yeah. Do you think that that's because you're someone who's more naturally a leader or do you think it's because of the tasks that you were given? Like what was it about it that made you feel sort of how you're describing? Possibly a bit of both. I grew up on a farm as a kid and so, yeah. you know, I was – given huge responsibilities as a kid, you know, massive tasks that, you know, my parents would completely leave me up to and they'd be like, if you fail at this or, you know, there's, you send sheep all over the district, then it's fine, you know. Like it was sort of a a really awesome way to grow up. And then I guess when I got into the working world in in, in inner city Melbourne, um, and it was just like a bit of a shock. I was like, wow, I can't. I can't yeah. do anything without someone directly instructing me all the time um, or also I just get left in, you know, here's a door schedule, update this whole thing, that'll keep you busy for three days and you just go yeah. do that. So I think it was a little bit of that. Um, 
I guess it's a bit of both those things what you were talking about in terms of going into practices and I think so many people can identify with that just you know mulling over stuff at their desk and I've got so many friends at the moment who are you know in their first couple of years and are almost just completely over it yeah Um, but with your own staff what sort of tactics do you think you're doing to broaden their horizons or to get them involved in the bigger picture? Like, would you say that your firm is not so top down and more of a, like a less hierarchical firm? Yeah, totally. I think that's just it. It's just, it's quite simple. <laughs> you take the hierarchy out of something and, um, yeah. you know, you will fix, you'll fix all those problems. And also your, you know, I think, um, we hire, like when we were hiring, we hired the person. Yeah. So we hired a particular type of, you know, person. Uh, even at the time, um, like the first, um, Anna was the first one to come on board. Yeah. And I actually taught Anna in first year. And Anna um, made a house truck 1 to 50 model um, oh. out of like a billion tiny triangles. Yeah. And she knew that in the first week that she'd picked a really tough thing um and that it was going to it was going to take a lot of work to make this thing come off and she was just like nope I'm doing it (laughs) um and it's kind of interesting that all these years later um I've you know seen her developing at university and running to her around the traps a few times and she's still that intensely dedicated um conscientious working person and has all this um personality traits that make her an amazing um you know person to have on your team um and Nikita is another um young one that we've just hired as well um and so we've kind of taken on two at the same time which has been interesting for me um because I've never done it before you know they're totally different and Nikita's you know Anna worked in a really amazing firm for three years uh, whereas Nikita doesn't have that experience but Nikita's really hands-on with like the marketing and the Instagram and really um good with like updating our website and you know reminding me that things are happening and she's also sort of taking on more more and more um project stuff but together those two you know Anna's sorting out our folder system for example like I would never have done that because that's not my personality type so it's you know it's it's about sort of looking deeper into what needs to be done and thinking about it holistically which is just all of that stuff to do with you know, non-hierarchical structures and it's about me sort of trying to be more of a coach rather than a boss yeah, yeah. in a team or like yeah. the captain of a team, but I'm not necessarily a better player than them. So I think that um, maybe this is, maybe it's possible for our generation because it's the first time that we don't, we don't feel, or I don't feel like I deserve to sit back and benefit yeah benefit from them um and that's probably what the hierarchical structure is really all about you know I did my time and now I'm a director and so I'm going to earn money out of you because that's essentially what staff do and it's not you know we there are lots of firms out there like Patagonia uh, is a really good one there's I know there's an amazing like breaks company in France um and they're all sort of like looking at different ways of remuneration they they sit down in a big group and talk about how much they're all going to get paid and they'll be like oh Fred did an amazing job at this last year and he actually got us you know eight new clients and all then they they talk in a really positive way and at the end they sort of all work out what they're sitting on I think there's just heaps of different ways of doing it yeah, it sort of sounds like you've got the challenges at, at the moment of being 
a fairly up-and-coming firm, but you're making the most of that. It's an opportunity to change things and to do things in a new and different way. Yeah, it's, um, I mean, it comes with the territory of not actually working at a firm, really. So I don't understand. I haven't learned, I have no learned ways. In a lot of ways that sucks because there's some things (laughs) I really would have been handy, you know, had I stuck around in a firm for for long enough. Um, But, you know, there's a lot of things that I haven't, there's patterns I haven't learned and there's behaviours I haven't learned and there's um, systems that I don't understand or, you know, don't identify with. And so it's about building this new thing. Um, And, yeah, I think that that's probably, it's good in its own way. Yes, very interesting. And so what have been some of the challenges and how have you overcome them? I would say our biggest challenge is cash flow, <laughs> always. Yeah. It's about keeping everybody paid. But yeah. I think that would be, you know, our number one issue. And, yeah, I think we did a pretty big thing last year in that we um, we got the opportunity to take over this really cool warehouse in South Rio. Looking for a space to um, to move up into. I kept Whispering Smith really small for a I started Whispering Smith in 2011. So, yeah. you know, it was time. It was time for it to get its own space. It was time for it to have more than me. And so getting that space was a big thing. We invested a lot of money in that. Um, you know, it's probably nothing compared to what most people spend. But it just the, you know, the overheads of having rent and then also wages and things has just been a bit of a an interesting time for us to try and work through that and trying not to, you know, overload ourselves with work and trying to sort through what work is the most meaningful and the most rewarding in both financially and sort of emotionally and trying to tee those, get those things to start working together. And it's possible and it just, you know, it's about always reviewing together. Like we have a Monday morning meeting like most people probably do and we go, how are we feeling about everything, you know? Yeah. And so is your, like, where you're going um, with Whispering Smith, is it something that, do you have a lot of plans in place or is it something that you're organically wanting to see where it goes? I think one of our biggest plans is just to try and diversify from the money for hours model, the fee-for-service model. I think it's kind of broken, you know, like it's, you can't quantify, you know, you never end up billing a client how long it takes you know, in reality, because it it just isn't economically viable to do the best you possibly can, because the best you possibly can always takes more time and there's not always more money in that situation. And that's where architecture is just, I think, at an absolute impasse and we need to do something about that. And so I guess we're looking at, you know, architecture as a product, as a, as a thing or a package that someone can buy. Um, yeah. Uh, or, yeah, or even doing developments on the side, like is that a better way that someone buys our thing at the end rather than paying incrementally for our time during the process? And I know like people like, you know, breathe with the Nightingale model. That's a totally different way of delivering architecture. Yeah. Um, and I think that is amazing. And so there's people doing yeah. it and I think that's probably driving our our sort of development. Also we're, gonna do, we're doing a fair bit of R&D. testing things you know testing different business models we're testing different ideas um and where i know other some terrific examples of firms doing that at the moment and i think that's really important as well we were talking about this just before and i've read a little bit about it so yeah could you discuss new resident and 
what that is. It sounds really exciting. Yeah, New Resident is yeah. um, super cool. Um, yeah. It started <laughs> <laughs> um, It started a little while ago. Um, well, it's, it's actually really sort of been on the ball ever since I was really at uni. Yeah. I was thinking, thinking about how, you know, housing can be delivered and it's a lot to do with um, sort of prefab and flat pack and all of those kind of things. They're all sort of around, um, you know, Archiblocks are doing that really well in Victoria. There isn't – WA is a unique and weird place. Um, over here everything is built out of, like, double brick, maxi brick, so brick with all the oh, holes okay. in it. Um, yeah. And, you know, there's no timber frame. Like, it doesn't really exist. There's timber frame roofing. Um, and yeah. it is completely dominated by project builders. Like architects over here are like, you, ne- you know, people see yeah. um, Whispering Smith in the design files, for example, and then we get an email saying, I didn't even know there were any decent architects in Perth. And I'm like, what? There's so many. There's a, you know, <laughs> there's an amazing design scene over here. Yeah. Um, but, you know, the project home companies have a massive syndicate and they own all the media. So, the new home lift out of the local WA papers is all, you know, is all project home stuff. So um, people over here see housing as a product. It's like I can pick this one off the website and then it will get dumped on this block and that's how it works, you know. It's like literally square peg round hole thing. Yeah. So I guess New Resident was about saying – so – we released uh, or opened House A, which is only – it's a tiny house, but it's um, – is doing all those cool things. It's, you know, sustainable. It's on a tiny lot. It's um, a bit of – it's like a cool loft design. Um, it's like a tower with a gap parking underneath and it gets amazing breezes and it's got, you know, all those things. Um, and we opened it to the public and we had a massive response. We had, like, over 2,000 people in eight hours come through it and that's happened – two wow. years in a row and yeah it, does, it didn't lessen the second year in fact it was just as bad or was good you know so many people um and everyone is sort of so surprised that it is the size that it is and so yeah. WA actually has it you know in its own weird little thing has the highest square meters per capita yeah um, so we've got the biggest houses per, per, per more space biggest houses per person so right. per, more meter squared than any other state. So our houses are enormous and they're really badly designed. That's essentially right. how the nuts and bolts of it. Um, and so people were coming in and being like, what do you mean it's only this big? It can't be, you know, I was like, well, you know, this is what architects do. This is, you know, what you can do with space. And so New Resident is about taking all of those really great ideas that we've had from all of these houses and all these projects that we've been doing and putting them into a series of designs and yeah. saying you can buy these off the shelf just like, you're used to, you know, rather than it being right. you take the risk of work, working through a project that might, you know, be over budget or might be, um, you know, um, that you might not like or that it might fall over, um, you know what you're getting from the beginning and you're getting an architecturally designed product. But um, it's a re- it's ready-made architecture. That's kind of the point. That's cool. And so how has it been going? Like has, has they been purchased? Like sort of what, how yep. far in the process are you? So the you first, the first to... few new residents are going through DA at the moment, um, which is really exciting. <laughs> um, and those, that is, um, it's a, um, a brother and a sister. And oh, cool. they're, um, 
they're in a relation to relationships. So there's two groups, two couples, and they bought a block of land and they're sort of building these two houses on it and they're sharing yes. like a common bit of land in the middle that's going to have deep root zones and lots of trees and rain tanks and all of those cool things. And they're really into sustainability and they really um, uh, want something that's really well designed and they're happy to, to sort of swap size for quality, which is essentially what we're asking people to do at New Resident. Um, you can get architecture, but you just have to give up the theatre room and, yeah. <laughs> you know, a couple of dumb linen cupboards and some weird dog leg corridors, you know, because the square metre, yeah, the square metre number on the end isn't, is irrelevant if you think that you can live in something with beautiful voids or volume and light. So, yeah, it's um, it's moving. It's We're getting a lot of inquiries with a heap of people on our mailing list and it's just slowly being able to build up and do things like get a proper website, you know. Um, yeah. That, you know, that, that sort of stuff is like because we're developing it as a product or a thing on the side of Whispering Sense existing practice. It just, these things take time. And yeah. it's yeah. kind of great for us to be able to test that slowly with some people um, like the clients we have at the moment who are amazing, to, you know, to work with and it's been really fun to get it off the ground with them. So that's pretty awesome for us. That's really cool. And so when you talk um, about housing, what is it about, you know, there's like so many um, different streams people can go into in architecture. Um, What is it about residential that's like stands out to you and draws you to it? I actually really like all of it. I don't, I'm not specifically into residential over commercial, but I do think that there's an element of control over the whole package um, with residential. I mean, commercial architecture, unless you're sort of like building or designing a factory or a showroom or something like that, you really do. It's mostly more interiors. And so you're, you know, doing a fit out or, you know, working with someone on a part of an existing building. Um, And even like the even residential, so say medium residential um, apartment buildings and things like that. Um, again, like not as much control. There's a lot more, you know, fire systems and all of that kind of stuff that starts to more complexity builds into it, whereas I guess residential as a testing thing or as a thing that you can control and conceptualise, probably for, even for me as a young architect, it's a really yeah. good thing to get your head around how buildings really work and be confident that you're delivering something that's really well detailed. And then yeah. once you have that kit of parts, you can start to expand and grow and and take on, you know, bigger projects. And I think we're sort of at that point now where we're starting to do that. Um, and it's interesting seeing things that may, maybe we did in a project, a small, tiny extension or, um, yeah. you know, little project five years ago is cropping up as a detail in, you know, some yeah. very cool, big, expensive architecture that we're doing. And that's, that's awesome. I think that's, you know, using and developing um, your innovations and bringing the R&D of previous projects through, which is, you know, what all architects do. There's nothing special about that, but it is it is nice. It's a nice feeling. Yeah, exactly. And I guess that sort of brings me to a flow-on question. So when you think about design and you could go in, yeah, you could go down so many paths with what you're doing and, like, applying, you know, what you've learnt along the way to different projects what do you think are the important things in design are you someone that's drawn to sustainability sort of talked about that a little bit 
affordability what does design mean to you I'm I like I think all of those things are important as a kit of parts um I just feel like sustainability just should be there as a theme I don't know why we're still you know it's it should just be an automatic um and and we're trying to make it as automatic and we'll get better and better at it as we go along you know Uh, our buildings will get more and more sustainable as we get smarter um like everybody um, but I think the thing that's probably most important in design is in the same way that, you know, an agronomist is there to advise a farmer, for example, yeah. on um, what sprays to put on what crops at what time and when something might need fertiliser. or And even the farmers all sort of know this stuff, but it's having yeah. someone have that broad view of your working business or your asset, whether it's a house or a fit out for a um, for an for a business, or whether it's a um, yeah, I don't know, a new building for a company or something like that. It's about seeing that whole picture and going, yeah. okay, well, maybe you don't actually need a house. Maybe what you need is um, to do a development and split these three lots off and do it this way, or maybe you need to instead of building a new universe. This is something one of my friends has recently been um, was telling me about. Um, rather than doing building a new building in a TAFE, for example, it was about actually looking at and cataloguing all the spaces that you, they had already and um, and then working out actually you've got some pretty amazing buildings and spaces all we needed to do was reprogram some stuff and do a refurb. And right. that's what architecture is. That's what it's yeah. bigger than design. I mean, design is done by yeah. interior designers and it's done by really building designers. Well, what elevates architects above all of that stuff is um, this ability to see a much larger picture. And that's why you're at university for six years, so you can see the big picture and so you can understand your role in that. And I think that is what's important to us as a practice. So what sort of things do you think going on from that at uni did you like not learn or weren't covered at uni and once, you know, you're sort of now in the thick of it, are there any like skills that you look back on and you think, oh, I didn't, you know, this wasn't covered at uni at all? I feel like university is very design focused and maybe that's just because it's the best way to teach you to be an innovator. Um, But we were even talking about this in, in the office the other day that there's all this, you know, pressure on you to produce an amazing building that is beautifully designed and beautifully detailed and I think that that is part of architecture but it's not architecture and anyone who's in uh, running a practice or involved in a practice in any way would know that Um, and even when you go and do your registration you're like whoa like there's a hundred there's all these other things you know run a contracts like I didn't know any of that stuff when I was at university and I think maybe we should know about that. Um, <laughs> and I, maybe it's my fault because I didn't stay working in an office for long enough when I probably would have picked some of that stuff up. But I do feel like, yeah, it's very design heavy at university and I feel like also maybe some academia is quite design heavy as well. Um, yeah. And I think that the, the business of architecture is actually a really, really powerful thing and I think it has the power to solve massive problems like you know, I always use the Nightingale model as a really good example of that. That's using business, you know, architectural business to solve a really, really big thing and do it mm. in in a way that no other profession can match. And I, I love seeing, I love seeing that. And I would love to see that stuff be pushed into universities a bit more rather than just do the pretty renders, do the pretty project. So kind of going back to as well, you were 
how you introduce yourself. I'm really interested in this idea of feminism. Read a bit about your practice and, you know, seeing that you've used feminists to describe yourself. Could you discuss a little bit about what that means to you and um, any comments that you have about being a woman in this industry? I, I hope that it's okay that we still, we're still really discussing what that means to us. I mean, we're standing right. behind it as a label, um, yeah. but, you know, I think feminism is something that we're, like I'm really only just learning about it now yeah. as, a young, as a young woman and seeing as a practitioner, um, as a businesswoman, yeah. what is actually out there structurally yeah. in the world and I guess trying to make sure that we don't replicate those structures in our firm and we look for and actively seek out and work with people who just get it and who who just um, almost don't recognise that. Yeah. Uh, there's, you know, we've got a terrific partnership with um, one of our builders, James, um, and he, you know, I feel like when we walk onto site, we are the same. Yeah. But, and I know that my staff are the same and he treats everybody the same. And I feel like there's just this general respect for who you are and what you bring to the table that's got nothing to do with gender stereotypes or roles yeah. or any of those things. Whereas I can walk on, I've walked onto other sites and I have, before anyone's even spoken, I can feel it in the air. And that's really interesting. And I guess we're always in the same way that there's a certification for fair trade. I guess we've got our own certification where we'd be like, this one's, you know, these guys are about equality. That's cool. You know, yeah. uh, it's the same with MSG um, architecture who just moved in with us. Um, you know, Michael Gay is on the gender equity committee. Um, and he's a, you know, the, if something bad happens to me, he's the first person I turn to. I'm like, you would not believe what happened today. And he'll be like, oh, no way, you know? So it's, um, I think it's 2019 and we have an incredible group of people around us from like, we have some impressive female clients. We have some impressive male clients and just to be able to sniff those people out and, and or they're sniffing us out and saying, Hey, you're, you know, you get it. <laughs> and then yeah. this whole little world is slowly being built. Um, and all the other stuff I'm really hoping will just drop away as yeah. this new thing gets constructed. Yeah. That sounds like a really um, powerful way to look at it and, um, like, yeah, empowered and inspiring. Um, what sort of advice would you have for people who are just, like, really embedded with people like that um, and, you know, working with women or, you know, co- you know, ha- having time and time again um, going to sites and, you know, experiencing sort of those more negative things? What would you – would you have any advice for them? Um I think, so my dad is a football coach. Yeah. Um, and he, I've always chatted to him about this because, yeah. I mean, he's, um, you know, his whole entire job is revolves around um, how people deal with each other and how they get along with each other and, you know, how to deal with resolution when conflict arises and, you know, making sure that everyone's working for the team and, you know, that a construction site... <laughs> isn't always going to be like that. Um, but he's, and, or maybe it is, you know, maybe it is the same as a fo- football team. Um, and so his, his thing is you can converse with someone, sit them down and you can say, listen, I'm, you know, I'm not okay with this behaviour. It's not the person, it's about the behaviour. And if that, that person can either see their behaviour as something that they can change or they won't. Yeah. Um, and I think that as a woman, 
and who's, you know, we've all got some pretty, as a generation, some bad hands being dealt to us. We've got, you know, unaffordable housing. We've got sustainability to deal with, which has never been a thing before. Um, you know, we've got stagnant wages. And in the architectural industry, I think we've got, you know, a, a really tough time that's coming forward in our profession. Um, yeah. And so we've got all of these things against us. You don't need that other additional thing of trying to fight someone to be considered equal, just get out of there. Either, you know, let them know. And if you feel like it's not going to change, then go somewhere where you support it. Um, yes. Go somewhere where there's the fair trade certification, you know, the, the equality certification. When you walk in the door and you know you feel like an equal, go there. I mean, I know it's easy to say that, but I think um, life's just too short to be swimming in a pool of idiots like that yeah exactly and uh, there's a lot of other stuff going on um and so you also mentioned that you um had been in, involved in some stuff in Perth I don't know if it was for International Women's Day what's been going on over there so Perth has it had its first female president of the AIA ever um the, the last president the next president coming in there's another guy who's a nice guy but it was it, it sort of there's a, a wall of um, pre past presidents at the AIA and it's just, you know, pictures upon pictures upon pictures of, of just men, you know. And um, so WA is um, has a long way to go or is coming from a long way back maybe. Um, and I think there's, a, there's an entire generation coming up underneath and I think things are, it's like really changing really quickly. Um, but I think part of Whispering Smith has been about getting onto boards and getting on, or, you know, we, I joined the ACA um, yeah. as a member, as a committee member. And so it, part of that is about going, well, actually, you know, this is a, typically or has been in the past a white male dominated organisation and they are looking for, to, to everybody's looking to diversify. So as a young woman, you should put yourself in there and go, actually, I'm going to rep us all. And, yeah, so and so as, I guess, a, a committee member, I'm now speaking at the, I'm a panel member for the um, Parlour Data at Work event um, next week, which Gil Mathieson is um, presenting all of that amazing data that she's been um, gathering about um, women in architecture and, and the progress. So that's that's awesome to be on something like that as a young young female practitioner is terrific. Final question to wrap up because I think you speak so well. Like, um, I think everyone's going to listen to this and be like, oh, my God, it's really, yeah, really rich information. Do you have any advice for anyone who's going to be starting out? So not necessarily um, like anything to do with being a woman, um, just, you know, starting up an architecture firm can be a pretty hard thing. Um yeah, would you get? Would you have any advice for people that would be inspired to do like what you've done? Uh, I think even just you know, if you're going to work in a firm, doesn't matter whether you're going to start your own practice or yeah. you're going to work in a firm, just get some business training for yeah. yourself. Like become yeah. financially aware. Become you know. So one of the things that I guess led me from a really early age um, with the whole you know being a director of my own practice thing was looking at the graduate rate and being like well I'm worth 32 grand a year at the end of my degree and I have a massive hex, hex debt um you know I actually went to the mines 
yeah. and worked in an underground nickel mine to make enough money <laughs> to put myself through um, the masters. And I, I, all of that was about saying, well, if I want to buy a house in Melbourne, this was like in 2006, yeah. I did the maths and I was like, if I'm going to buy a house in Melbourne, I'm going to need this much money. And I was like, I'm never going to earn that as an architect. Yeah. And even at that point I was yeah. like, well, if you know, this, I'm going to have to figure out another way to become, to, you know, achieve all those things in life that I want to achieve out of architecture. And so that, yeah. I mean, it's when you put up a $32,000 a year graduate wage, um, yeah. you're yeah. like, surely I can earn that. <laughs> Doing some drafting, drafting carports, yeah. I don't know, like it's yeah. not really so I and mean, then that's sort of almost really how with Spring Smith started I ended up doing a project with um I did partnered with my dad and um moved and my mum and dad gave me a farmhouse and I moved it and renovated it and taught myself all about you know how buildings how timber frame works and how the construction works and how to hang doors and how to do all those things and that's you know, I've been doing that on the side ever since. And I think being really financially aware of all those things is now how I how we're sort of bringing new resident in and trying to work through architecture as a product. And I feel like it's just this, you know, I started a social enterprise with two friends um, called Sprout Ventures in oh, the early days. And that that was like one of Westpac's 200 businesses of tomorrow. Like that was awesome. And I learned so much from those guys because they are so financially literate. And I feel like we don't have that in architecture. It's all design, design, design. And I feel that actually if we could get a bit more financially literate and a bit more um, business savvy, we could really push architecture um, further. Um, But I think that even as a young person, it doesn't matter whether you're an architect or not. I just think getting some real awareness about how things work um, at a young age is a really great idea because you've got, you know what your options are, you know, and you can also chart yourself a path through all of the stuff that happens um, and just be a better practitioner, whether it's in a firm or out of a firm. Yeah. 